Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, and we're down in verse 18, but we'll read at verse 15 just to kind of get a context back in our mind here. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. He that believeth and is baptized, so he that believeth the gospel of the kingdom and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And again, I read, every time I read that, I always think it's the issue of believing. It, it isn't the issue of baptism, it's believing. Believing, you'll get baptized. If you get baptized and don't believe, all you did was get wet. You're not doing anything. Verse 17, and these signs shall follow them that believe. So there's going to be some signs here now that are going to follow the, those that believe. So the little flock, the believing remnant, is going to have this activity happen. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. And again, that is the case. The signs never stand alone. The word is preached and then the signs come up and confirm the word. Uh, Luke 8, 1, he's out preaching and showing the good, tiding, the, the, the good tidings of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. So when you, the confirming, all of the signs in verse 17 and 18 are confirming the gospel of the kingdom that's being preached. Now, all of the signs in verse 17 and 18, except for the drinking of the deadly thing, happen in the book of Acts. And that's important because it makes, that makes it clear that each of these signs are literal, visible, physical signs that do take place. This is not made up spiritualization stuff. Again, I said it last week when we looked at verse 17, I'll say it again. The preachers will say, because they, they don't want to they speak with new tongues. They don't want to get into the tongue-talking side of things. So they'll say, see, the moment I got, the, 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 the moment I was saved, I cleaned up my language. So I speak with a new tongue, you know, and that's not what's happening, okay? Uh, they don't, the casting out the devils. See, the, you, you get saved and you cast out the devils. You, you cast out to get the devil out of your life. And again, that does happen when you get saved, but it isn't what's happening here in Mark 16. So again, verse 17, Mark 16, 17, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. And, and, and again, we went back to Exodus 4. The sign program belongs to the nation of Israel. It does not belong to the dispensation of grace. They had those two basic signs with Moses, the issue of the rod and the serpent, and then the issue of the leprosy, the, the casting out the devils, the, the rod. There's the, 
The rod turns to a serpent, pick the serpent up, back to the rod. The issue of successfully dealing with the satanic captivity, the satanic policy of evil against the nation of Israel. The leprosy, put it in your bosom, take it in, put it out, put it back in and so forth. That issue of dealing with the, the curse of sin, leprosy in scripture indicates and, and talks of, and, and, and pictures the corruption of sin. So those things are happening. So verse 17, in my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. That's dealing with the, the issue of successfully dealing with the, the satanic captivity that Israel sits under. That's dealing with the satanic policy of evil. That's the, the, when they go in and the Lord in his earthly ministry goes in and he clean, uh, cast out the unclean spirits and the demons and the, the, the devils and everything. Those are, those are specifically illustrating the issue of Satan, Satan's captivity. Israel is under. Uh, the strong man's got them. The stronger than he comes and, and liberates them. So you've got so verse 17 is dealing with the satanic captivity. Then in verse 18, which is where we're at tonight, you're going to take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. That's the physical stuff. That's the physical issues of the corruption of sin, the serpents and the drinking and no hurt, the laying on of hands, and they're healed. The physical issue here, okay, and that's what's happening with, with verse 18. Now, what will happen is, by the way, serpents, they're going to take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, those are very specific. These are actually verse 17 as well, very specific issues, and they're, they're specific things that are going to be used to attack, to attack the nation of Israel, to attack the believing remnant and that little flock. And so these aren't just general issues when people, and again, I know what the preachers do, and it's a, they're scared to not get into these things, and, and I, weigh, I wade right into them. When serpents, well, that's Satan. And they begin to spiritualize it. And yeah, you can do that. But it's much more than that. It's actually, these are, these, are, these are actually issues that are part of the fifth course of judgment against Israel that, that's going to come on Israel as they go into and, and are in the 70th week of Daniel. That last half, that, that last week of the tri of tribulation the great tribulation and so forth so when you read these signs here they're not general they're they're not a generalization they're very specific uh, come back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 32 and they're very specific issues that Israel is going to have to um, deal with in the 70th week of Daniel that last seven years and there's things that are going to come up against them they're going to be a, they're going to face attacks in the wilderness and the issue of serpents that's the first one 
is really what he's talking about is the animal kingdom. And it's the animal creation. It's not Satan. Satan is, he's, he's the mastermind behind all of it. But this very specific, it's much more than just saying it's Satan. If you look at Deuteronomy 32, uh, look at verse 23. Deuteronomy 32, 23. Again, Israel, this is Moses. <laughs> so you think about when Moses writes this, as Israel is about to go into the land, Moses sits and writes his five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. As they're going in, just prior to his death, he gives that historical account to Israel as they go in, and he's giving a prophetic picture of their end. Here's what's going to happen out here, it's happening now, but it's also going to happen in the future. A prophetic picture. Verse 20, uh, 23. I will heap mischiefs upon them. I will spend mine arrows upon them. And, and again, this is Israel. And this is what's going to come on Israel in the fifth course. That 70th week of Daniel in their last days. They shall be burnt with hunger and devoured with burning heat and with bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth of beast upon them, which the poison with the poisons of serpents of the dust. Think about the poison of the serpents of the dust. It, these are physical attacks. They're out hiding in the wilderness, and the animal kingdom is turning on them. Now, I like to hike, and I know what this is like, okay? We were hiking in the Grand Canyon, down on the bottom of it, coming through there, and it's night, it's dark because it's like it's 4.30 in the morning, and you look down, and there's scorpions running everywhere, Okay? And you look over here, and there's, a, there's the, the, the field mice, you know, the little dudes, not the big fat, but the little guy, and they're running everywhere. And, we, well, if you're not in a tent, some guys were cowboy camping. You know what that is? Throw a tarp on the ground and roll and, and go to sleep. Lay down and go to sleep. Well, they, the, the, in one of our campsites, the ranger came through and told the guys, you better want to be up on the table because <laughs> we're having a little infestation right now of certain uh, little spider bugs or something anyway <laughs> so the guys were all up on the tables you know on the benches because you know it was like but so the wilderness here uh, come over to Leviticus 26 so what's happening here is while they're hiding in the wilderness literally the wilderness will turn on them and is literally going to attack so when it says that they're able to take up serpents, they shall take up serpents. He's not talking about a bucket full of snakes over here that the preacher can go over there and pick them up and, you know, bebop around with them. See, he's not talking about that at all. Leviticus 26, here are the five courses. I, and, and I'll be honest with you, you can't understand Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John without understanding the 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 Leviticus 26 because you have because the of what's here because when the Lord comes on the scene 
He's coming on the scene as Israel is in the latter day, last days of the fifth course. Now, if you just start in verse 14. But if ye will not hearken unto me, and will not do all these commandments, and if ye shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that ye will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant. Now, notice what's happening there. By the way, the curses, this is the curses. The blessings started up back up in verse 3 and ran down through verse 13. If you don't, God's telling Israel through Moses, if you don't obey my commandments, what I'm, my word to you, this is what's going to happen. And the first one, verse 16, the first course, I will also do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, uh, terror consumption, and the burning ague that shall consume the eyes and, the, and cause sorrow of heart. And ye shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And I will set my face against you. By the way, all that stuff in verse 16 is what God sent on the Gentiles. That's what he sent on Egypt when they got it come in the, in the plagues in Egypt. It's called the botch of Egypt, see. And what happened is, is God's telling Israel, if you disobey my word, I'm going to give you everything I gave those gen, that Gentile over there. I'm going to dump it on you. Now look at verse 18. And if ye will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times, notice that word, more for your sins. In other words, the first course is in, the second course is going to go right on top of it. That first course never ends. The second one comes right on top of it. Verse uh, 21, and if you will hearken, if you will walk contrary unto me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sin. See the more? So these courses don't stop. They get started, they're, they're going. By the way, the first course starts in Judges. Then there's an 80-year pereve under David and Samuel and then the third starts, and the fourth starts, and, the fifth, and they, ju they just come. Now, the third course, if you look at verse 22, I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, and destroy your cattle, and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. The wild beast, literally in that third course, he's going to turn creation against Israel. And you go over in the second Kings and, and you begin to see how that, how that actually works up, worked out under Elisha and Elijah. And again, more adds to it, more. So in the tribulation, in the 70th week, creation is going to turn against Israel as they're hiding in the wilderness. Come over to Jeremiah chapter 8. Jeremiah chapter 8. So when, we, when we're in Mark 16, and he's telling them, look, you believe these signs are going to follow? You're going to be able to take the, you're going to be able to handle that serpent. When that serpent comes up and gets you, it, you, it will do you no harm. It won't hurt you. 
because you're a member of the little flock. Okay? Again, this isn't handling snakes and all that nonsense that you see in, in, the, in, in the, uh, the mess today. Okay? This is very specific. These are folks out in the... Why are they in the wilderness? They're hiding. They're, they're running for their lives. Why? Because they're the believing remnant. Uh, Jeremiah 8. If you will look here, Jeremiah, again, he, he's, at the, he, he's a prophet at the beginning of the captivity under Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? And what he's going to do here is he's going to tell Israel why they're in captivity and what's going, what happened here? What, the why and the what? Look at verse 9. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord, and what wisdom is in them? Why are they in captivity? Why is, why is God letting Nebuchadnezzar take them? What they do? They rejected the word of the Lord. There's, and, there, and so where's wisdom at? There is no help. There's no wisdom. There's no help. There's nothing there at all. Verse 13, I will surely consume them, saith the Lord. There shall be no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the tree. The leaves shall fade, and the things that I have given them shall pass away. Look at it. No help. No grapes. No, 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 no blessings at all. No benefits. And, and that reminds me, anytime you ever see in the Old Testament where Israel is in a famine, they got there because they did what? Leviticus 26, they didn't hearken to the word and the judgment is on them. And that judgment lays out. Drop down to verse 15. We looked for peace, but no good came. And for a time of health, and behold, trouble. The snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. The his there is Nebuchadnezzar in time, but Nebuchadnezzar is one of the 18 major types of the Antichrist out in the future. His horses, I love that. Revelation 6, there are four horsemen of the apocalypse. Well, there are four horsemen that those four horsemen represent the Antichrist in four different stages of his activity. The whole land trembled at the sound of the, na- of the neighing of his strong ones, for they are come and have devoured the land and all that is in it, the city and those that dwell therein. For behold, I, that's Jehovah, will send serpents, cockatrice among you, which will not be charmed, and they shall bite you, saith the Lord. There's Mark 16, 18. When, you can, when that serpent bites you, when they attack that little flock in the 70th week, that little flock will not be harmed by the attack. That's what he's talking about over there. He's not talking about coming over here and doing a hoodly-doo dance and all this nonsense. By the way, they wouldn't have even done that in the Gospels, see. You know why? Because they know that snake bites them, it's going to kill them. They're not dummies. 
what the Lord is doing is post-resurrection commission here is he's getting them ready for the tribulation that's coming their way. That 70th week of Daniel specifically. Come over to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. So when you, if you just will leave Mark 16 where it sits, then you're fine. But man, once you start trying to pull this stuff into the age of grace, any of it, it just, it creates nothing but heartache. So the taking up the serpents, no harm. Again, it's very specific about when Israel being persecuted by the creation and they're persecuted by those judgments that he's already told them is going to have. And again, that little flock, though, they're protected. They're protected from the assault. No harm will come to the little flock. Now, again, remember, Israel, all those of Israel are not Israel. They may have the descendancy, but they're not that believing remnant. So, you, again, you've you got to keep all of this in, in mind. Revelation 6, we're talking about the four horsemen. Here's number, verse uh, 7. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. So we got the fourth seal, the fourth horseman here. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death and Hell, followed with with him and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death now watch and with the beast of the earth there's mark 16:18 they're going to be there's going to be an attack against Israel and when that attack comes, the believing remnant will not be hurt by those judgments that are coming. This is the fourth seal. He opens the fifth and the sixth seal. Come over to chapter 8 of Revelation. So at, as those judgments, as these attacks come, judgments of the tribulation come, that believing remnant is going to be protected. No harm will come. They have power against it. Revelation 8, verse 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal. So seals 1 to 6 were opened in chapter 6. There was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. That's what we were talking about earlier. Okay? The, the joke is, is that God kept all the women out of heaven for a half hour. <laughs> And then he let them in, and then the silence was gone. That's the joke, okay? Verse 2. I'm glad the ladies are laughing. I, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get a little trouble there, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, verse 2. And I saw seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So the seventh seal opens up seven angels. Seven trumpets are going to blow. Verse 10. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of water, and the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood. 
and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. And there's the drinking of the deadly thing issue in Mark 6.18. Okay? The judgment that God sends against Israel to purge out the rebel, to clean out the dross, the unbelieving element. See, the serpents, the animal kingdom is going to rise up against them and attack. And then there's going to be this issue of wormwood here, okay? And that, that issue of bitterness and that issue that's going to come up now and they're going to drink it something and it's going to kill them, the verse says. Well, that little flock, no harm comes to them. They're God's people, and they're good to go. Okay? So in Mark 16, the judgments that are sent in that fifth course, uh, come back to Luke 10. The judgments that are sent in that fifth course, part of the 70th week, they're sent against Israel. He's the rod of my indignation. He's going to clean up the dross. It's what's being dealt with in Mark 16. So it's very specific. It's not a list of what not to worry about. You know, it's, it's amazing. When here in, if you are, live in the East Valley, people, oh, don't drink the tap water. It's got, you know... ABC chemicals in it and whatnot, you know. That, drinking the deadly thing has nothing to do with whether you drink chloride or fluoride or, you know, whatever. It, okay? It's not about you. It's about something very specific, about a specific time, the 70th week, that the little flock is going to face. And they're not going to be harmed. You guys remember uh, the... the What's that town in Michigan that had the bad water, the lead water? Flint, okay? Well, if we lived in Flint at that time, you know what I would be doing? I'd be drinking bottled water because if you drink lead water, what's it going to do to you? It's going to hurt you. It's going to kill you. Well, Mark 16 says I can drink anything and I go right ahead, Bubby. You know, drink it away. See what happens. Well, because, you know, there was goofballs that said that, see, and I goofballs in a loving manner, okay? That, because that's what they do, you know? And I always, I had a, a friend of mine, he always said, I got to jug a Drano in the car, chug a lug that Drano, and let's see how far you get. See, that has nothing to do. But see, the preachers don't want to be in the charismatics or this or that, so they twist it around to make it fit, and this is not what it's talking about at all. It's not about us. It's about the little flock, what they're going to be facing in the 70th week, and they're not going to be hurt. Now, if you look at Luke 10, I know we looked at this last time briefly with about the 70, but I just want to show you this here again. Verse 17, and the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning falling from heaven. I, I love verse 18. The se he sends the 70 out. They're the pre-runners. The, the pre Actually, if you go over and you read from verse 
2 down through there, their commissioning is very similar to Matthew 10 and the 12 apostles' commissioning. So they're sent out. They're to, they're to spy out the cities or, or, and then bring a report back. So they come back, and they're, hey, man, the devils are subject. And, and the Lord goes, I was there when the original fell. <laughs> you know. Now watch verse 19. Behold, I give unto you the 70 power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. See that serpents and scorpions? There's Mark 16, 18, see? There's that animal kingdom isn't going to hurt you guys. And nothing shall be by any means hurt you. See, that's the, that's the deal here. By the way, the 70, uh, come back to Psalms 91, the 70 are, is the original number of Israel before the 12 became its, their number. 70 souls go down into Egypt. That's where it started. Then the 12 come, you know, work out with the 12 tribes and the 12, the perfect governmental number and everything like that. Psalms 91. The issue of no hurt, no power. Why? Because they're God's people. They're obeying the word. They're doing what his word's telling them to do. They're out preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They're out doing what they're supposed to be doing. See? And when you do that, then guess what? Nothing can hurt you. Why? Well, you got Psalms 91. You got a little promise like this. Now, this is the psalm of the guardian angel. All right? Psalms 91.9. 91.9. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh uh, nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. You see, they've got protection. They've got angelic protection. Now, you and I don't have this. I'm sorry. Okay? But that little flock, that believing remnant in the tribulation, in that 70th week, no hurt is going to come upon them. Why? Because they're God's people doing God's work in that moment. By the way, you're in Psalms 91. When verse 11 and verse 12, the adversary in Matthew 4 quotes this. To the Lord. But he doesn't quote it all the way. He only quotes a piece of it because he's trying to get the Lord to do something out of turn, out of sequence. This, in the moment, Psalms 91, this is talking about the Lord, but it is also talking about the believing remnant out there in the 70th week. So when you come back to Mark 16, which is where we're at, we've been here. This is like a lesson 117 or something. Mark 16, 18. That little, no hurt. They can take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They have protection against the judgments of that 70th week. Then he says, verse 18, uh, 
they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. This is the promise of physical healing. Okay? Now, in Scripture, physical healing is a miraculous divine healing. All right? It's a divine intervention where there is a supernatural event that takes place. This is not natural healing. Last week I had a cold. I was sick all week. Okay? You know what I did? I took a little more vitamin C than I have been. I did this. I took some NyQuil to go to sleep. I, get, I rested. And you know what happened? My body is, your body is wonderful and fearfully made. And you know what it did? It's almost all out of me. <laughs> okay? That's not a divine healing. That's a natural healing. You know how it is. Get a paper cut. Cut your finger. Watch it heal itself. That is not a divine. Now you could say, well, but Rick, God made you. So yeah, yeah, you could do that. But that's not what he's talking about here. See? He's talking about here, he's talking about God, there's a laying on of hands. There's some things that are, that, are, that are happening. You rest, you get better. Uh, my dad had open heart surgery about 10 or 12 years ago or something like that, 15 years ago. You know what? And they opened up, he had a leaky valve, so they put a cow valve in. Well, you think about that. 20, 30 years earlier, they would never have put a cow valve in. They'd have probably just said, well, it's too bad, dude. <laughs> See you later. Okay? But what happened? Man got curious. They started doing research and studies and surgery, and they began to develop. So they took the situation and did what? Made it better. That is not divine healing. That's man and their ingenious in their, intuit, in, their, in their abilities to make things better. They took was, what was already there, and they enhanced it. I was, Dad and him were out for the break between Christmas and New Year's, and I was talking to him about his heart, you know, hey, what's going on? You're going to have to. And he said, you know what they do now? Uh, the heart, the, that valve, the, the cow valve, moo, the moo valve, was supposed to wear out in like 15 years. They now know it to go almost to 30 years before wearing out. And now what they do is they make three little marks, little cuts, and they laparoscopically stick the new one in the old one and go poop, and the new one pops inside the old one, and everything's good. So they don't have to do, oh, what did, they, what did man do? Man took a thing and said, we can make this, better. That's natural healing. It isn't divine healing in Scripture. They lay hands on the sick, and what do the sick do? They recover. In Acts 19, there's a whole list of special miracles that belong to Paul. Paul's handkerchief heals. That's divine healing. See, Peter will come in and and he'll, his shadow passes by and raises the dead. That's divine, that's miraculous, supernatural. It's hard to understand, hard to, okay? 
by the way, I will tell you what most people do is they say, well, God does heal today miraculously, and they run you to Philippians 2, where Epaphroditus is nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him. See, he healed him. Problem is, is if you keep reading, you find out that the mercy that God had on Epaphroditus, he had the same mercy on Paul. So if he healed Epaphroditus, then he had to heal Paul too, and he didn't heal Paul. So that, you can't even use that passage, see. Why? Because divine, miraculous, intervention, healing isn't happening today. Now, come back with me to Isaiah 33 and just see what's going on here. So the laying on hands, that's a, there's a process to this that isn't just coming over and, and going, I wish he would get healed. No, there's a process to this. Look at Isaiah 33. Just kind of catch some, some of this. Isaiah 33, verse 22. So Isaiah 23, uh, 33, so we're, we're moving toward the kingdom. Verse 22, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. The only time that that is the case is in the kingdom. So we're out in the kingdom, the future kingdom, okay, where he is going to be in total governing positions. Verse 24, and the inhabitants shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. In the kingdom, what's going to happen? Restored health. Why? He's going to heal them. You go in Revelation and the, and the trees and the new heaven, the new earth, the trees there, and they're healing everybody and they're doing healing the nations and all that. Why? Because we're in that situation. Come over uh, Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. I'll be honest with you folks, today in the age of grace, we have a far better healing program than Israel had in her, their part. You and I get a new body. And in the moment, even though we might hurt or get sick or whatever, we have the capacity to think like God would think in that moment and enjoy the riches of his grace in it and use that opportunity for something far better than just getting... And, and by the way, it, I had a neighbor who used to live about two doors down from us, and they were big Benny Hinn people. And her mom went to eight Benny Hinn shows. She went to ten trying to get healed, trying to get up to get the, you know, the blessing on them. And I'm like, that doesn't work that way, see? It works this way. Uh, Jeremiah 30. Uh, look at verse 7. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So time of Jacob's trouble, we're out in the tribulation. Verse 8. For it shall come to pass in that day. What day? The day of Jacob's trouble. 70th week, day of the Lord saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up 
unto them. So where are they? They're going to be set free from the bondage of captivity that they're being held in. But when is he doing it? In the kingdom, see. And that's where the healing is going to be. Come back, to, you're in Jeremiah, just real, real quick, look back at Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. Um, that thing there in Jeremiah, by the way, the his is the Antichrist. And, and I, I didn't point that out when we were there. And that thing in that verse 30, uh, 30, verse 8, his yoke from off thy neck, that's the Antichrist. He's got them down, and they're going to be liberated. Look at Isaiah 65, look at verse 25. Isaiah 65 and verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith the Lord. Again, that's Revelation 21.4. In the new heaven, new earth, there's no more sorrow. There's no more sickness. There's, why? Because in the kingdom, the bondage of corruption, that corruption of creation, so the animal kingdom, and then the physical sickness and disease issues is all taken away. If you're in Isaiah, just look back at chapter 11. One verse is good, so two would be better, right? Verse, uh, Isaiah 11, verse number 9. Isaiah 11 and verse number 9. By the way, Revelation 21, verse 4 um, says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. He said that, and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And again, that's Israel's program on the earth, and here we are, Isaiah 11, verse 9. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters covereth the sea. And you know what it is? If you look back up there at verse number 7, verse number 6, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow uh, and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp. And the wean child shall put his hand on the, cock, on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy. Why? That corruption is gone. Israel's hope in the kingdom. Okay? Now, come back to Exodus 15. Just as in Exodus 4, where Israel gets her first, those two made, uh, Exodus 15. Just as in Exodus 4, there are three signs given to the nation of Israel. The first two are where the are the two major categories. 
the casting out the devils and the demons, the unclean spirits, and then the physical healing of the diseases, the corruption of sin, okay? Just as they get that in their early days, in Exodus 15, where they've come out of Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, they're now going into the wilderness. In the wilderness, there is five specific tests that the Lord test Israel so that they know that he's Jehovah. I am, fill in the blank. I am that I am. I am blank. Whatever you need me to be, that's what I'm going to be, so that they would come to learn and to want to obey his word and do and so forth. Now, he brings them to a little place called Mara, verse 23. Now, this is the first of these tests. By the way, some will say there are seven tests. You can do that. That's fine because there's a couple here before we get to Mara. But Mara is where the Jehovah compound names start, okay? If you look at verse 23, And when they came to Mara, they could not drink of the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. By the way, wormwood is very bitter. I, I, I did a little research on Google MD. You know, that great bastion of information. <laughs> okay, Google. And it's, it's actually uh, a, 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 a concoction that is very bitter. And they do use it for stomach issues and so forth. So here we're at Mara. Now look at verse 26. And said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians. Now I, I'm going to heal you. There will be no disease... If Israel is sick, it's because they've disobeyed God's commandments. Notice what he says. If thou wilt, then I will do what the blessing. If you and by the way, that is the the law the, the law contract, the Mosaic covenant is the if-then principle of being applied to the law of God. The law of God, God's law, is righteous, Romans 7. The problem is the people, the sinner. God's righteous. Since Adam, God's been teaching, he taught Adam his law, he taught Abraham his law, he taught Noah his law. It never had the if-then until Moses. That's why Paul in Galatians says that, The promise was given, and then the law was added to the promise. It can't disannul the promise. It's added to it. Why? Because now man needs to know they're sinners, and you can't do it. So the if-then is right here, way before Exodus 19, by the way. What does he say? He says, if you do this, then I will take care of you. I will protect you. I will heal you. I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians. Deuteronomy 28 calls it the botch of Egypt. 
So all of the diseases that he judged on the Gentiles, on the Egyptians, he says, I won't put it on you if you just obey me. The end of the verse, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. See? He says, that's who I am. I'll take care of you. I'm Jehovah. That's their hope. From the very beginning, they understood that they were going to be delivered from the bondage of the corruption. All they had to do was do what? Keep his word. Obey his word. Now, they get it on the kingdom. That's everything we've been looking at. He says, I'm Jehovah. I'll take care of you. You just got to do what I ask you to do. You just got to obey me. Now, they don't do that. Their history is their history. So when you come back to Mark 16, that believing remnant, that little flock, as they're out doing, they're preaching the gospel, they're seeing people get, they're seeing people believe and get baptized, identified into that little flock. And as soon as that happens, now they've got some signs that are coming their way that enable them to, to not be harmed and hurt through the through the, the tribulation time, but now they can come over here and lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. He's preaching and showing. Verse 20, they're confirming the word with signs following. So here the guys are preaching and then they're able to heal and, help and do and they're like, wait a minute, you said that, and then you were doing that, that I'm believing that, so I can do that, see. Now, the laying on of hands is a process. Get James chapter 5, and I, this is uh, James chapter 5. Understanding that, that this stuff works in a process. It doesn't just wham, bam, boom, you know. There's a process to this. James chapter 5, just now notice verse 14 and 15, because these are the two big passages that everybody uses, and then you read about them in the paper when it didn't happen and they died and they throw in the preacher in jail for murder. Okay? And they claim James 5.14. Is any sick among you? See the question? James 5.14. Let him call for the elders of the church. All right, what's the first thing he's going to do? Notice the process. What are they going to do? Call the elders. All right? And then what's going to happen? Let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. So then what are the elders going to do? They're going to pray over him and anoint him with oil. And, verse 15, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So then what's going to happen? He's going to recover. You see the process there. This stuff just doesn't, okay, Lord, healing, boom. Now, that's what the Lord did because who is he? He's Messiah. He's God. He's the one, see. But for these guys, they've got a process to go. So there's a process to applying the healing. And you know what happens in the end? It works. They recover. It's very clear. If you're sick, what are you going to do? You're going to call the elder. The elders are going to come. They're going to anoint with oil, the picture of the Holy Spirit. 
They're going to pray a, the prayer of faith over you, okay? And then what's going to happen? You're going to be able to get up and go about your business. See, there's a process to this. Now, the wonderful thing about right division is that you read James 1.1, and you know this isn't you and I. It's who? It's the 12 tribes scattered abroad. It's Israel. This isn't us. This is the group in Matthew and Mark 16 that we're talking about. Out there in the 70th week, you know what they're going to do? They're going to do the process of James 5.14 and 15. When they lay hands on them, that, that's, it's much more than them just going up there and grabbing them. There's a process to it. Now, come to Acts chapter 8, and you see it right here in Acts chapter 8. And the reason I stress this is because we get this crazy idea that we can just whisper a prayer and Lord sends down firebolts of, of healing on people. And it isn't that way, okay? When it comes to the believing remnant, the little flock, and the way that they're going to have to do work. Laying, Acts 8. The laying on of hands is, an, is a symbol of submitting to authority, okay? If I'm sick and I call the elders in to pray, what am I? I am submitting to their authority to do, James 5. But notice here in, in Acts 8, watch the illustration here, okay? You've got Philip. Philip goes out to the Samaritan. Verse 12, Phil, uh, well, verse uh, 9. But there was a certain man called uh, Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. Okay? Verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, behold, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. That is exactly what Mark 16, 17, and 18 said would happen. What happened to this guy? He believed, he got baptized, and he was able to do a bunch of, do the signs. See that? Now this is after Acts 7, the fall of Israel. And what are they doing? They're doing Mark 16, 17, and 18. They're doing Mark 16, 15, 16, 17, and 18. They're out preaching, they're believing, they're baptizing, and they're doing signs. Verse 14, now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Now, wait a minute. What has happened here? They believe, they hear the word preached, they believe, they're baptized, they're doing signs, but they have not received the Holy Ghost yet. Well, what's the order? What's Acts 2.38? That's the order, right? Acts 2.38. 
Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and he shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Things are topsy-turvy. Why? Because Acts 7, the fall of Israel's happened. You see, they're out of order. They've repented. They've believed. They've been baptized. They're doing signs, but they haven't received the Holy Ghost yet. Something's up. See? Something's not right here. Peter and John come. They see everything, but there's no Holy Spirit yet, Holy Ghost on them. Now, verse 16, for as, yet he was, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that an, man, Luke writes that in there, and the, and the Holy Ghost put it to protect these people, these believers, these new members of the little flock, because they hadn't received the Holy Ghost. Now, watch verse 17. Then laid they... Peter and John, their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now you think about what's happening here. In Matthew 10, the Lord tells the 12 apostles that they are not to go in the way of the Gentiles nor enter into this, any city of the Samaritans. Why? Well, back in the day, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, the ten northern tribes went off into Assyria. They are the Samaritans. They rejected the authority of Jerusalem. They rejected Jerusalem as the seat of authority. Moses has told them three times a year, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, you are to go to Jerusalem. They said, we ain't doing that. We're going to have our party in Dan. Or Bethel. See. So when the Lord shows up and he says, I am sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, who's he going? He's just going to, to Judah, the southern tribe. He says, you don't go to them. But now here, after the fall, Acts 7, by the way, in Acts 10, where does Peter go? Peter goes and talks to Cornelius. Remember that in Acts 10? And Cornelius they actually believe. They're speaking in tongues. Peter goes, I guess we should baptize. Everybody okay? We baptize them. And then that's secondary thought, see. Everything's, the order is all out of order. But verse 17, in order for them to receive the Holy Spirit, they had to have the apostles from Jerusalem Lay hands on them. Why? They had to submit to that authority of the 12, of, of, well, Peter and John specifically, but of the apostles coming out of Israel. They had to submit to the authority of Jerusalem. So they were putting themselves under the authority of Jerusalem. Therefore, the Holy Spirit then falls on them and they're, identified now as that little part of that little flock. You see what's happening? See, these guys in Mark, go back there to Mark 16. This isn't just some kind of willy-nilly little thing. Oh, everybody's got happy days. Not at all. This is very specific. Laying on of hands, laying hands on the sick 
is, is they're going to understand the authority of the program that they're under. They understand that they have this opportunity in that fifth course, that 70th week out there. By the way, not the dispensation of grace. This has, and by the way, this is not the normal operation even in their own program. The Lord, the Lord didn't have any of this. He spoke and it's done. Peter's shadow goes over and it's done. Paul's got some hankies going out and it's done. See? This is very specific to the end times, to the last days, to the 70th week of Daniel. And what are they able to do? Well, what did we just see in Acts 8? They are coming along. They're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They're believing it. They're being baptized. They're being identified with that message and that little flock. And then they got signs that follow them that are very specific to reducing, to, to removing the captivity issues of Satan's and the satanic policy of evil, and then the physical issues that come up. And then in verse 19, so then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. And we'll have to get all that next time. Their commission, while they're out, they are working in his absence. He's up, he's up in, the, in the third heaven. They're down here working. They have no clue Saul of Tarsus is coming as, as the of Paul, the apostle, the dispensation. They, are, they got their eye on the prize. It's right out there, and it's that kingdom, and we got to get from here to there. we got to endure to the end. They're having their understanding completely open. They've gone through 40 days with the Lord, Acts 1. They're on the ball. They're doing the, They're continuing the message, and none of this has to, anything to do with you and I. Because we are not on these pages. They have a protection to go do the work. And that's what they're doing. Now, next week we'll get verse 19 and 20, and we'll spend four weeks in those two verses, okay? <laughs> well, a couple weeks anyway, all right? All right, dearly Father, we thank you for the, more, for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the study. We thank you for the look into these things and the the wonderful protection that you have for the believers in this day and also out in the future day from us. In your name we pray, amen.